name is David Such. I am here in Jacksonville, Texas. I'm a near-death experience researcher. In the last 14 years, I've heard around 1,000 near-death experiences, and I am a near-death experience author as well. This is my book called God Took My Clothes, and I'm happy to be here tonight to talk about the near-death experience. So what I learned in these 14 years has been very interesting. Near-death experiences changed almost every aspect of my life. It changed the way I relate with my family and my friends. It changed the way I view politics, the way I interact with nature, and just about every aspect of my life. And I think it's really important to get a message out there that these people who have these experiences, who visit heaven, and some have hellish experiences as well, they come back and they bring these amazing messages of love. And so tonight I just want to share with you what I've learned in my 14 years of talking to these people and the way it's transformed my life and the way it affects their lives. So what is a near-death experience? Well, that term was coined by Dr. Raymond Moody. He was the first one to publish a book really about near-death experiences in 1975. His book is uh, Life After Life. And I read it when I was 14 years old, uh, way back then. And I didn't know what to think of it, but it was many years later that uh, I was a Christian and I was part of a church, and I came down with chronic tendonitis throughout my entire body. And it got worse and worse and worse, and it became very difficult to work, and I became very depressed from the chronic pain, and it was very debilitating, and I miraculously healed from it many years later. I'm, I'm doing well now. But back then, I, I didn't see any end to it, and I had been prayed for by dozens of churches, hundreds of people. And one night I was lying in my bed in a lot of pain and I came to a very, a very painful conclusion. I thought to myself, you know, one of two things is going on here. Either God doesn't exist or more likely, you know, God exists, but you know, he's not going to help me or answer my prayers because, you know, I've been a bad Christian. I haven't, I haven't been an obedient, obedient son. You know, he's the He's embarrassed of me. You know, I'm the son that you know, doesn't want anything to do with me. And that was a very painful conclusion to come to. And during that time, I clicked on a YouTube video. I wasn't searching for near-death experiences. It just came up in my feed. And this is 2007, so YouTube was fairly new back then. There was hardly any uh, near-death experience videos on YouTube, and there's thousands now. But I clicked on a video of a man who was an atheist, died. He was sort of in a hellish uh, experience. He called out to heaven for help, and he was rescued. And that started me on a long journey investigating near-death experiences, and I finally decided to write a book about it. And so, um, yeah, the things I learned, I'll, I'll give a brief overview of what happens in a typical near-death experience. Now, it's important to note here that everybody's near-death experience is different. Because heaven gives the individual an experience in which they'll feel comfortable. In other words, if, you know, a person is very close to their grandmother who died a long time ago, uh, they're going to probably be met by their grandmother in heaven. Or if a person is a big fan of, of nature, they may be brought into one of heaven's beautiful parks or gardens. So every experience is different, but there are a lot of commonalities. So I'm going to go over what's typical. So... A person will be in an accident or maybe a surgery gone wrong in the hospital or, you know, a poisoning or a stabbing or a shooting. I've, I've heard all sorts of things. One man was struck by lightning 
and they find themselves outside of their bodies. And some people don't recognize their own bodies um, because we're used to seeing ourselves in, in 2D, you know, on a computer screen or a picture. And when they see themselves in three dimensions, they don't always recognize themselves. And sometimes they do. And they're very confused because when you come out of your body, uh, if somebody has been in an accident or is suffering in the hospital, they are instantly pain-free and feeling more alive and more alert and more real than they ever felt in their life. You know, when you're dreaming, you think your dream world is real until you wake up and then you go, oh, this is the real world. This is much more real. I feel much more alive in this world. And if you can imagine taking one step to a higher level of consciousness, that's what it's like to come out of your body. Now, there's some things that are different. Uh, you feel weightless, so you don't have the feeling of gravity. Your clarity of thought is very strong. Your intensity of emotions is a lot stronger. Uh, you don't have a blind spot. So right around here, you know, there's a blind stop spot behind us. When you're out of your body, you can see all around 360 degrees. Now, these people, some of them become aware and can, that they can hear the thoughts and feel the emotions of the people around them. So if it's at the scene of an accident or in the hospital, they can hear uh, like a doctor's thoughts and, and, and sense their feelings. They realize they can pass through solid objects with ease and float through the air. Some of them realize they're dead. Others don't exactly know what's going on because it's such a different experience. Now, that's the typical NDE. And so some people have far more extensive near-death experiences. And they will often notice a light either off to the side or maybe behind them, and they'll get attracted to this light like a magnet. And they describe moving to this light very fast. Often they describe it as faster than the speed of light. And then they come into this light, to this being of light. And they describe this light as being 10,000 times brighter than the sun. They say it has a personality and a consciousness. Uh, you know, we call we would call this light God. And they describe a love that can't be described in human terms. So they use the word love because it's the closest word we have in the English language. But they cannot describe it because there's nothing in this life that compares to it. Now, people have tried. So one guy, for instance, said, imagine the hundred happiest moments of your life and put them all into one moment you still don't come close to what it feels like to be there. Another person said, imagine the strongest love you've ever felt in your life and multiply it by 500 or 1,000, and that's what it feels like. Another man said, imagine if on earth you had a magic lamp with a genie and you had unlimited wishes. He said, you still wouldn't be nearly as happy as you feel there in heaven. Now, in front of this light, sometimes there's a discussion about staying or going back. Some people are told it's not your time and they're sent back to their body. Others are given a choice. And this being of light will sometimes show them, let me show you the benefits and the purpose of your life if you return. And at that point, you know, of course, if I heard their testimony, they chose to return. Now, some are given what's called a life review. So they take you through your entire life from beginning to end uh, with a difference. In this life, you're always one person, you. 
So you see the world with your own eyes, your own ears, and your own senses. And in this life review, you literally become every person you've ever interacted with. So I'll give you an example. One man found himself in his life review in the middle of a street fight, and he's punching this other guy. But at the same time, he was his victim, and he felt his nose break and his teeth breaking and the pain, and he felt he experienced exactly what his victim experienced. Uh, One woman, for instance, she stopped to help a stranded motorist who was uh, in the snow and, and needed a jump start. And this was in the days before cell phones. And she was hurrying on her way to work and, and stopped and gave this woman a jump start and left without even being thanked. And in her life review, she experienced it from the point of that woman who was becoming a little nervous and desperate that nobody was coming to help her. And all of a sudden, this, this angel came and, and gave her a jump start and didn't even wait to be thanked. Uh, one man who worked with hospice. So he worked with uh, elderly people near their end of life. He got to feel all the good emotions that these elderly people felt when he was, you know, caring for them and, you know, he talked to them and he was concerned and, and, you know, showed them love and compassion. And he said it was like emotional fireworks. So in this life review, what they are trying to show us in a nutshell is the entire purpose of our life is to love ourselves and love others the best we can, to treat others with kindness, respect, uh, to be considerate of others. And when we are considerate of, of others and show others love, it makes heaven happy. And when we're cruel and selfish and manipulative in these life reviews, it makes heaven a little sad. So they're trying to show us the point of life here. Now, people are told all sorts of things uh, in these near-death experiences. Some have very lengthy conversations with the being of light. Others, you know, they meet relatives or angels or religious figures. You know, one guy said he met uh, Peter, the apostle, who was his favorite religious figure. And he said, yeah, he looked a bit shaggy looking. (laughs) So, you know, you can appear any way you want in heaven. And so Peter was probably appearing the way he did on on earth. So they have these long conversations and they may ask uh, many questions. Some of them ask thousands of questions. And some of the questions they ask are really uh, surprising to get the answers. So people ask questions like, uh, what's the best religion? And the answer is always the same. The best religion is the religion that brings you closest to God. Okay. So how does God feel about religion? That, that's a very common question people ask uh, near-death experiencers. How does God feel about religion? Well, religion is a tool. And I like to uh, consider it like Captain Cook's brew. So Captain Cook was a captain who sailed ships in the late 1700s. And back then, people would get something called scurvy. So when you were out on the ship for years at a time, you were eating you know, all sorts of uh, food that could be preserved in the ship, but you didn't get fresh fruits and vegetables. And so the the crew, you know, half the crew or more than half the crew would die from scurvy on these trips. And scurvy happens because you're not getting enough vitamin C, right? No fresh fresh fruits and vegetables. So you lack vitamin C and it can kill you. Well, Captain Cook had a brew and it included all these weird ingredients, sauerkraut and... uh, Uh, malt and vinegar, but one of the ingredients was lemon syrup, which is loaded with vitamin C. And so if you drank Captain Cook's brew, you didn't get scurvy. 
but it was only because of one active ingredient, the vitamin C in lemon syrup. And that's the way religion is. The active ingredient in any religion is love. So if you look at the world's major religions, Islam, Christianity, you know, Judaism, Buddhism, Hinduism, I mean, there are dozens of them. They really do all focus on some very common themes, brotherly love, charity for the impoverished, forgiveness, self-control, kindness, gentleness, love. Yeah. So the way heaven feels is they want us to love each other. And if you want to use a tool to connect to God, well, then that's fine. And if you want to use a tool to become a better person and be more loving, that's fine. They don't care which tool you choose. And another analogy, this is one uh, given by Cryon, who's channeled by Lee Carroll. He said, it's like, imagine if you were in a bitter divorce and your spouse gains custody of your young children in this divorce. And out of bitterness, they, they're going to hide them from you. They take them far away. You know, you're never going to see your kids again. And for years, you look for your children and you can't find them. And you finally give up in despair and you're heartbroken. And the years go by. And one day, the phone rings. It's them. They say, we've been looking for you all these years. We're in your neighborhood right now. Can we come by and see you? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're overjoyed, right? It's the happiest day of your life. You're finally going to see your children again. And so you go outside and you wait. And then there's a car coming down the street and it's them. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you care what kind of car it is? Do you care if it's a broken down old car in terrible condition or a brand new car in perfect working condition? You don't care. You're just happy your kids are coming to finally see you. So God doesn't care if a person is in a religion with a lot of bad doctrines and mistaken beliefs and things that are off. We're in a really good religion that's, you know, very focused on love. He's just happy that his children are trying to come and see him. And I really believe that just as a bee takes pollen from different flowers, so does a, a wise person take a sense of goodness from each and every religion. And, you know, for those of you who have children, you know that each child expresses their love for you in different ways, right? I mean, it'd be okay if all your children expressed love to you in the same way, but there's kind of a beauty that they all express love in different ways, right? One may say, you know, I want to help you, mommy, do the dishes because I love you. And another may run up and give you a hug and say, oh, I love you, dad. And another may say, you know, here, I made this drawing for you because I love you. And there's a beauty in having love expressed in different ways. And I think God enjoys the various ways and all the different world religions and the different ways we honor God. So that's the way I view religion as people honoring God in their own way and connecting with God in their own way. So I try and take the good from every religion. And, you know, things are changing with religion too. And you won't see about it much on the news, but there are things like in the Middle East, for example, there was an incident, I think back in 2011, where some radical Muslims were threatening to bomb Christian churches on Christian Eve, on, on Christmas Eve. And the Muslims got together and said, no, we're a religion of peace. And even though we don't agree with these Christians, you know, we're supposed to respect other people's religions. And they formed human shields around those churches so that the radical Muslims couldn't harm them. 
There was another incident of um, a radical group stopping a, a group of women on a bus, about 100 women on a bus, and seven of them were Christians. And they were going to stop the bus and kill the Christians. And the other Muslim women, you know, handed them, you know, head coverings. And they said, well, we're not going to tell you who's the Christians here. You're going to have to kill all of us. And so they saved those women, you know. So religion is changing. And some near-death experiences have been shown the future. And there are people who think that, you know, when we become an ascended species, which we will, that we're all going to be holding hands and singing Kumbaya and there's going to be one world religion. No, religion's going to change. Religion's going to mature and people are going to respect each other's beliefs. Now, I grew up Catholic, right? And I've watched that religion change. I've watched how God has worked in the hearts of men to make the religion better. When I was a child, um, you know, it was kind of rough preaching. Now, just recently, my wife is Catholic, so we go to Catholic church together. We were in church and they went over the story of the prodigal son. And for those of you who don't know that, uh, uh, a man who was kind of uh, wealthy, one of his children said, give me my half of the inheritance now. And then he went out and blew the inheritance and was starving to death and came back to his dad's house thinking, you know, well, I'll ask to be one of his servants and at least I won't starve to death. But his father welcomes him home with open arms, right? So this uh, priest in this Catholic church, his conclusion was, you see, God loves you no matter what you do, even if you're bad. He's not going to punish you for being bad. If a priest had said that in a Catholic church when I was a child, he'd never preach in that church again. And 500 years ago, the Catholic church was selling indulgences, pay us money, and we'll pray for your dead relatives so they get into heaven. Well, they don't do that anymore. They matured out of that. So religions are going to mature as the consciousness and the spirit of, of human beings matures. And so that's kind of one of the beauties of, of heaven and the messages we hear. Now, there's some other things they talk about. And I think one of the most exciting things they talk about, a uh, few near-death experiences are shown the future of mankind, of humanity, right? Now, if you survey the world today, it seems like everything's falling apart, right? And there's lots of scriptures and religious text and writings that predict the end of mankind. Revelation, Nostradamus, Mother Shipton, where they predict this doom and gloom. Well, those were accurate predictions, but human beings have free will. So whenever you look and try and predict the future, you can only predict a potential future where it looks like it's going. So if I'm driving my car north at 60 miles an hour, you can say, okay, an hour from now, he's going to be 60 miles north, and you can predict where I am. But I have free will. I can slow down. I can speed up. I can turn left or right. I can turn around and go the other way. Same with human beings. We were on a path as a species to destroy ourselves, which was predicted in Revelation and Nostradamus and Mother Shipton and many other texts. But sometime in the late 1980s or early 1990s, we passed a marker. And thanks to a lot of help from above, we're not going to destroy ourselves and we're going to become what's called an ascended planet. Now, this may be kind of a shocker to some people. One of the common questions these people ask when they're up there is, are we alone in the universe? And the answer is always the same. The universe is full of life and there are other dimensions with other universes that are also full of life. So 
there's a lot of intelligent species out there. And some are very aware of God, the existence of the afterlife and spirit and so forth. We're kind of new kids on the block. We're kind of primitive. But when a species passes the marker and they get past the point of fighting each other, destroying each other, they become an ascended planet. So the first thing that happens and the first step is peace on earth. And then once we're cooperating, things are going to really get moving. Imagine what humanity could do if we, if we stopped fighting each other. No more military spending. You know, we can use that to help the poor and the impoverished and, and to help those who are too sick or old or mentally ill or unwilling to take care of themselves. You know, imagine when corporations, instead of this cutthroat competition, start cooperating with each other. Well, that's what's going to happen in the future, believe it or not. I mean, imagine if Apple and Samsung, instead of suing each other, they said, hey, we're still going to make our own products, but we're going to share all our technology with each other. I mean, we would have a much better world. And in the future, companies are going to compete based on integrity, based on the good they do. You know, there's advertisements today, but advertisements are mostly lies to sell product. Well, in the future, companies are going to compete based on, hey, look how good we treat our employees, especially when one's having a problem. Look how good we treat our customers and how fair we are and how fairly we price our products. You know, we don't we don't mark them up and charge as much as we can. We we just make a enough profit to keep our company going, to be good to to people. And and when one of our customers has a problem, look how we take care of it. Look how much we care about the environment. And it'll be genuine. Now, it's hard to imagine a world like that, but it's coming, right? Now, near-death experiences have been shown that this is going to happen in about 150 years. We're going to have a much different world. We're going to have a world where human beings communicate with each other and with alien races telepathically. Human beings will communicate with plants to tell them where and how to grow. So instead of physically making a garden, you communicate with the plants and tell them what to do to make a beautiful garden. We'll have limited technology, very advanced technology, but a limited amount because human beings will learn how to create with consciousness. There won't be a need for doctors. When a member of the community is sick or ill, the rest of the community will heal them with the power of thought. It's within us. And other species have gone through this, what we've gone through. And once you get to a certain point and you get to a certain advancement as a civilization, your job is to seed life on another planet. So mankind actually has a very bright future. There'll be tiny little communities of around 100 to 150 people. And the entire civilization will be focused on children, teaching children about God, love, and the wonders of nature and science. And there'll be travel to other planets. And there'll be some high technology, but we'll mostly be using consciousness because biology is the best technology. And we've just begun to scratch the surface of it today, right? Why does a placebo work? Why, when you give some patients a pill and it's just a sugar pill, why do sometimes 50% of them get better? Because they believe they'll get better. The power of the human consciousness can change reality. And that's something heaven teaches us. So quantum physicists know this. They know when that they run an experiment, they have to leave the building 
and distance themselves from that experiment because if they stay near the experiment, their expectation of the outcome will affect the experiment. So quantum physicists know that consciousness affects physical matter. And so we're going to have this amazing new world. Now, there's going to be some rough patches to go through to get to this new, new world of love. The new world of love is coming. It's just a matter of time. But we're going to be facing some storms, right? The dance of consciousness is always two steps forward and one step back. We're in a step back phase right now. And there's some storms coming. Financial storms, cultural storms, even economic storms. And we've seen just the beginnings of these here in the United States. Uh, we had you know, riots in the cities and we're seeing all sorts of conflict. Well, this is just sort of darkness coming to the surface and being dealt with. And these dark things and bad things that were going on were always there, but now because of technology, they're being discovered, they're being exposed. So darkness is being exposed. And in the past, darkness always won. You know, if you were a good guy, you know, the old saying, no good deed goes unpunished. You could try and be good and try and be honest and try and act with integrity, but you were just going to fail time after time because there was just so many bad people in the world. Well, that's changing. That's changing. People are changing and love's going to win out in the end. What to do when you've had an NDE? And a lot of people are afraid to talk about it. A hundred years ago, if you had an NDE and you talked about it, you would probably be put in a mental institution. Today, it's a little more accepted. It's even in some movies, you know, they joke around about it. Don't go towards the light, Jim. You know, they, they, they know about it. Well, in 1841, Richard Owen examined large bone and teeth fragments, and he speculated that there was once giant lizards roaming the earth that he called Dinosauria. He was laughed at. People thought it was a hoax that he was doing just for money, but it turned out to be right. There, there were dinosaurs. And in... Uh, 1910, I believe it was, uh, a scientist suggested that the continents are slowly drifting across the surface of the earth. And he was laughed at by the scientific community. Come on, continents drifting. But that turned out to be true. Continental drift is a real thing. And over 500 years ago, when Copernicus wrote his book on the revolution of the celestial spheres, he suggested something back then that seemed absurd. He said, the earth is not the center of the universe with all the stars and the sun going around us. We're going around the sun at 90 miles a second. He had to delay the publishing of his book till after his death because people were so upset that he was saying this. So whenever you're first with a new idea that society is unaware of, they're going to call you crazy. And if they do that, remember, you're in good company. My advice to you is this. If somebody asks you about your death experience, tell them all about it. Other than that, just share what you learned. Share the love. If you try and preach a message of spirituality or religion or whatever, it's generally going to be rejected. But if you just take that love, that perfect love, that perfect peace, that perfect knowing that you felt in the afterlife, and you bring that back here in your daily interactions with people. Now, what that means to me is being kind and compassionate and loving and patient with my fellow man, especially in situations where my ego judges that person doesn't deserve it. They're being a jerk to me or they're being mean to me that being nice in those circumstances, there is nothing more meaningful to those in heaven 
than when we are purposefully loving and compassionate to our fellow human beings. And that's the best advice I can give. Stay calm. There's storms coming. You can't stop the storm. You can't calm the storm. But what you can do is you can calm yourself. The storm will pass.